Hello. This sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So, if you are not a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We are glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of his glory to you. Morning. Happy Labor Day weekend. Good to see you all here. Well, you know, one of the things I like to do is go hiking, and one of my favorite trails is Blue Lake. Anybody been on Blue Lake? Ah, yes. And uh, was up there about a month ago, and from the parking lot to the lake is five miles, and it's pretty much uphill the whole way. And uh, this year, was walking through some burnout timber, saw a cow moose with her little baby calf there in a green little uh, pasture there. It was really beautiful. But meanwhile, just going uphill, and I am sweating profusely, and drinking water as fast as I can, trying to keep ahead of it, walking, breathing hard, stopping, taking a breath breath of air, getting up there. And then the last mile is really kind of an uphill trudge. Go up, stop. Did I tell you I was sweating a lot? Sweating a lot, breathing hard, and I'm pressing on and finally get up there, the trail levels off, and the trail goes there, and then the lake's down here, And it's like it's worth it all. I forget about the sweating. I forget about all that other stuff. I'm up there and there is Blue Lake and all its glory. And not only that, there's a big mountain on the east side of it called Cameron Peak. It's massive. It's huge. And the trees and the air and the water. I'm having a worship experience. I'm not worshiping dirt and rock or anything like that, but the Creator who did that. Who speaks and stuff comes into existence? Who does that? Who speaks? Photosynthesis starts. The Krebs cycle moves. I had a little biology, so I'm dangerous. So, it was worth it all. It was worth the sweat. And it was an awesome time up there. And so, I want to talk about the word worth a lot today, and it describes a valuable way that we either spend our time or our money. Like the movie was worth going to, the meal at this restaurant, hey, it's worth going to. The book, you got to read it, it's worth it. And so, so what is the greatest fall, what is the greatest value for a follower of Jesus? Greatest value for a follower of Jesus. What is supremely important to you and to me? What is eternally and preeminently significantly important and most valuable to us? What is the greatest worth for us today? The greatest worth is God, right? Because nothing in existence is greater than God. I mean, we talked about it, we sang about it. He's holy, he's absolutely powerful. He's infinite in wisdom. He knows everything. Do you know God never learned anything? Hey, God, did you ever learn anything? No, I knew it all. We have to learn stuff, but not Him. 
He's all-knowing, radical, and unconditional in His love for you and I. Radical and unconditional. His love for us. He's the almighty creator of the cosmos who speaks and the heavens appear. So I want to talk about these two words, worth and worthy. Because we, as we've gone through the Psalms this summer, as Eric was talking about, one thing is clear about the Psalms. Continuously, they magnify God as the one true God. You can't get away from that. He is worthy of worship because he is of his infinite worth. He is worthy of our worship because of his infinite worth. So, and it is true that whatever is most worthy to us and most important to us drives our values, our behavior, and our decisions, right? Said differently, the chief end of man and woman is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So what worthy reasons are there to glorify God forever? Well, today in Psalm 66, we're going to light the fire. This psalm is awesome. I feel like I'm handling nitroglycerin today. So, in Psalm 66, we're going to see God is worthy to be worshipped by all the people of the world, all the people of the earth. God, Secondly, God is worthy to be worshipped for all of His awesome deeds. Does He have a few awesome deeds? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, thirdly, God is to be worshipped for bringing His people into and through trials. God is worthy to be worshipped, number four, even by one man who experiences God's grace. And that's going to be the author of this psalm in Psalm 66. Would you turn there, please? Rapidly go into your Bible, too. Psalm 66. And while you're going there, a couple observations of this psalm. Warren Wiersbe said, The exhortation to praise the Lord begins with the Gentile nations. Verses 1 through 7. Then it moves from the Gentile nations to Israel in verses 8 through 12. And then it concludes with this individual believer. We don't know who he is. We don't know the writer. Verses 13 to 20. Kind of a helpful outline. And then also in verses 1 through 12, all you English majors out there, you'll be excited. You'll salivate when I say this. In verses 1 through 12, he wrote in the first person plural, like us and our. Are you having a rush on your English here? But in verses 13 to 20, it changes to the first person singular, I and me and my. So, also one other thing. I'm kind of a geek, but when I study these things, I count the number of names for God, different names for God. And so, usually, in this one, it's just mostly God. It's used almost 40 times, 40 times, 20 verses. Richard will so what? Well, here's so what. It's all about God. That's what he's trying to say. He's the star of the show. He is the center of all that we think about and all that we do. It probably should be 80 times, but the point is made clear. Secondly, God is intensely personal with us. Intensely 
relational with us. There's no other religion out there that I know of that has this. All the other religions, it's distant. You can't get to their God. Or it, we have it great. God wants to enter into a deep, abiding relationship with each of us. Thank God for that. So we're going to pray, and then I'm going to get into the Word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are totally worthy. Worship. Worthy of obeying. You are worth obeying. You are worth living for. You are worth dying for. You are worth coming into church. You're worth going out into the world as a light into the nations, Lord. So I pray for the Holy Spirit here today. Your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us, Lord, because we need help. Pray also that you would really help us not just to know stuff, but to actually practice it. And Lord, with the psalmist, I want to pray, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, verses 1 through 4, God is worthy of worship from all the people, all the people. To this choir master, a song, a psalm. Shout for God, shout, to, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise, exclamation point. Say to God, let's stop. There are quotation marks coming. Quotation marks, I'll get to that. Say to God, this writer is telling the nations how to worship. The audacity of him. This is how you do it, fellas, ladies. This is how we worship our God. This is what you do. How, say these things. How awesome are your deeds. Indeed they are. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. No one survives going up against God. No one does. He is almighty. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Selah. So the author calls the nations to worship there. And it does sound a little bit audacious, other than the fact that in the Old Testament, Israel was instructed by God in numerous cases that it's not just about you people, it's about the nations. Case in point, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. An amazing passage. And it's the passage where Abraham and Sarah are called to leave the Ur of Chaldees, kind of a trendy city in that day, and they go all the way around, they bring them over there to Israel. And in that, those three verses, it says that in Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth are to be blessed. Blessed, And that, that message keeps going along to other people, other people down through the ages. It came, and it goes all the way through the Scripture. I think it's important to God. I think it's very important to Him. So Israel was to be a light to all the world. As God revealed Himself to Israel, the rest of the world watching Israel would notice that there's something different about Israel. They have a God who's with them. They have a God who revealed His righteousness in the law that He gave them. 
Israel has a God who's powerful, and he does all these great things, and he cares. And so this psalm is instructing all the earth to shout for joy. And in verses 3 and 4, I drew attention to those quotation marks. The author is teaching the nations how to worship God. He is scripting them for crying out loud. That would be us. I'm probably not a Jewish person that I know of. And so that would be me. And we worship, and we know that worship from the nations, think about this, only happens when the nations hear and respond to the gospel from his global workers, his missionaries. How will they hear unless some of us go? John Piper said it like this, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Worship abides forever. If in the pursuit of God's glory is not ordered above the pursuit of man's good in the, infect, in the affections of heart and the priorities of the church, man will not be well served and God will not be truly honored, says John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. It's a game-changer book if you want to read that. It's an awesome book. So, the second part of this, we're still talking to all the world, but we're going to be talking about all of his awesome deeds. Awesome deeds. And Vince, in the message last week in Psalm 65, talked about awesome deeds, and so is today. It's going to be mentioned twice. Verse 5, Come and see what God has done. Let's just take a tour. It's like he's saying. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land, and they passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves, say law. So, this is in response to Awesome deeds. And two of them are picked out in specific here. One is the crossing of the sea, and one, the other one is crossing the river. So the crossing of the sea or would be the Red Sea crossing, the Exodus event. The one that crossing the river most likely refers to when the nation of Israel went through the Jordan River from Moab after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and they're going to go through the, the Jordan River at flood stage, and then they're heading into Jericho and to the rest of the promised land. So, these events, they were huge. I mean, parting of the Red Sea, two million. They, they think there's two million people. Just think of the logistics on this, getting people through that, and then you got this angry army chasing you. You got fire in the sky, and this guy Moses driving you through there, and it's on dry dry ground, and when they get over to the other side, it collapses in on them, and you just can't just... This is a, a life-changing event. They were rescued there. That's the Red Sea event. Now, the Jordan River, it was where they, the priests were the first to go. They were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and they're going to the Jordan River, let's say the Jordan River here, at flood stage, and as soon as they put their foot into the water, it stops, and, the water, and this text says that the water piled up, and again, it parted. Two million people walked through there into the way 
of uh, Jericho first. So these events didn't go unnoticed by the people of land of the land. One notable example is Rahab the prostitute who hid the two spies sent from Joshua. She risked her life to hide these guys. Here's why. This is amazing. I am just amazed at this gal. Here's what, why she risked her life. Before the men lay down, the spies lay down, she came up to them on the roof. She was hiding them up on the roof. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen on upon us. All the inhabitants of the land melt away from you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came up out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. Why? For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. She whiz. How did she come up with this? I mean, she's hunkered down in Jericho. But they heard about it. I mean, for 40 years, it was an event 40 years prior. And she heard about it because it's all the talk of the land around there. And so she risked her life on hearsay. She saved her family, believing this right here. And how did her life end up? Well, Matthew the tax collector says this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, there's a genealogy there. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. And so, in the genealogy, there are four women. Two are Gentile, two are Jewish. Here are the two Gentile ladies. Ruth, or Rahab, the, uh, she was, what would you call her, uh, the Jerichoite, something like that. And then Ruth, the Moabite. That's a great story from the book of Ruth. And so, she's in the genealogy of Jesus. And so think about this. Since the time of the writing of Psalm 66, the Bible has been translated into approximately 700 languages noted by Wycliffe Bible translators. So out of, of 7,000 known languages, think about 7,000 languages on our planet? 700 of them have the Scriptures translated, the whole Scripture translated into their language. So on a given Sunday, say like today, around the world, when, this, when Sunday comes up and the world rotates and all the time zones, all the different churches are waking up all around the world and they get up and maybe they're reading Psalm 66 together on one Sunday. Wow. How many people would that be? How many Gentiles would that be? How many nations would that be? Wow. And this guy was writing this. I'm not sure he understood the, the magnitude of it. I'm not sure I do either. Wow. This is why he's worthy of worship. He is worthy of worship. So from the nations of verses 1 through 7, we're going to go to Israel in verses 8 through 12. Let's see what's going on with Israel. God is worthy of worship even in the midst 
of trials. Verse 8, bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, listen to these, how God is in control of all these trials. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net, a figure of speech for trials and difficulties. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out into a place of abundance. You know, there's just no way to go through our world unscathed by hurts, pains, difficulties, trials, name it. We just, that's what part of our world, part of the problem with sin, bringing that into our world. But God uses these trials to grow us up. So without God testing and trying us, we'd be hard-pressed to go to Him for help and for faith. If everything was going good, would you go to God? God, I've got it. Thank you. Man, I can run it from here on out. I got the ball. And so that's kind of how we act, you know. But when the bottom falls out, man, we go back to Jesus because I need help. Could I even say we're so desperate? We'll even go talk to God about this. I'm afraid I've been that way sometimes. Friends, without trials, we would not grow in maturity. Right? This is a good township question. What really helps you grow most? How, what things happen to make you grow? I'll bet you lunch that Eric will pay for if somebody in that group doesn't say, and it's these hard times that really drove me to Jesus. That's the way it works in me. If you want to grow up, welcome the trials. <laughs> Let them come and learn from them. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your pain. You know, just because you grow older, I'm an old guy, doesn't make you mature. There are old people who are not very mature. I hope I'm not one of them. It's not just time, but it's time plus learning the hard lessons you need to learn. So don't waste your pain. Don't waste your pain. But also, that's what the church is for. We help people walk through their pain. And in verse uh, 10, talks about all the testing there, and then he alludes to a passage in Isaiah 43 that I'm going to read to you. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters the testings and trials. I will be with you and through the rivers and they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Why? Here we go again. When the word for comes up, we should boot up, here's a reason. And the reason is, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So God is faithful, and yet you brought us out to a place of abundance in verse 12. 
Out of those verses, all of the hardship up there, that last phrase, ended verse 12, you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I've heard it said that Satan tests and tries us to destroy our faith, possibly even destroying our lives. Satan promises, the or God tests and tries us to make us stronger and better, right? Satan promises the best in our world now, but then delivers destruction later. Satan will say, hey, enjoy this thing right here. You can have it now. And so we dive into it and he destroys our life. He promises the best and he pulls the rug from underneath you and destroys you. God lets these things test us now. And he says, God is saying, it's going to be hard now. All who desire to be, live godly lives will be persecuted. Ben said that in the sermon several weeks ago. No one will get by with that. But then the best is yet to come. Hard times now, but then heaven. And let me tell you, heaven is going to blow the doors off all you, you can think about. It is going to be so amazing. I'm looking forward to it so much more than I have like when I was 25. I'm ready to go. Why wouldn't you? Let's see, exchange world, the earth, for heaven? Hmm, let me think about that. Eee, I want it, I want it. So God is sovereignly in control of all things happening to us, and He is compassionately will bring us through all these things. Our God is a compassionate God. And He's worthy, worthy of worship for all. He is powerful in all things over all time for His glory. I'm going to skip into the next one. I didn't turn the slide for y'all, did I? There we go. So we're moving from God is talking to the whole world to God is talking to Israel, and now we're, it's the author. So the last part of this is the author, and this is, he breaks into two parts, what he says to God in verses 13 to 15, he's talking to God, and then in verse 16 to 20, he's talking to the people of Israel there. So we'll look at this. Verse 13, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fatted, fattened animals, with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams, I will make an offering of bulls and goats. So he is coming in here and he's saying he's paying his vows to the Lord. So something, evidently, as they were going through these trials, he made a vow to God. We don't know what that is, but evidently God fulfilled that vow and now he's repaying this by going into the house of worship. And he's bringing burnt offerings of fattened animals, smoke of the sacrifice of rams, making offerings of bulls and goats. This is probably not offerings of forgiveness of sin, but this is probably an offering of dedication and praise to God. Thank you for getting through that. When God takes you through a tri trial, don't you just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He did too. Let me just say a few things about vows. Just uh, We don't talk about it a lot, so vows. A vow is a pledge or an oath detailing a transaction between man and God, dedicating himself or herself or a service or something value to God. 
Some were like a bargain, meaning a condition or a favor returned by God. Like Hannah, the mother of Samuel, was barren and she prayed to God, if you give me a son, I will give him to the temple for worship. God gave her a son. That son became Samuel and she gave him to the the church there. Other vows were made for discipline and dedication to God and accomplishment of a goal like a Nazarite vow. So, Here's the main thing about vows. They're not commanded, but if you make a vow, you better fulfill it. It is binding. Better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not keep it. So we're going to move now from what he said to God to his testimony to others in verse 16 to 20. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God truly has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be, the, blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love for me. So he's, he's sharing a changed life story. This is how God changed me. And during this trial, he called out to God for help. And he mentions the fact that if I had cherished some sort of iniquity, the prayer would not be heard. But his prayer was heard. And so God brought him through this. And so his answer to prayer is a a way to give thanks to God. And this is the first mention of steadfast love. seems like we've been talking about that word a lot lately. Steadfast love. It's often in a lot of the Psalms. Just think about it steadfast love. His steadfast love towards me. He is steadfast in his love for me. He doesn't give up. He doesn't give up. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3, says, almost in an exhortation, let not the steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Steadfast love. I want to move now just to answer some questions. How do we respond to this? How do we respond to this? And so we respond by, we become like what we worship. And God is worthy of worship by the nations, by Israel and individual people in four different ways. Look, we worship God from within all the peoples. We are worshiping God today within all the peoples of the world today. It is going on as we speak. God is redeeming peoples of the world. He's redeeming people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. God is a missionary God. Holy mackerel, aren't you glad He went out and grabbed after us? Aren't you glad He goes into the cesspool of our life and says, Nelson, come on out. You need help. He does that. He's a missionary God. We can be missionaries. Secondly, we worship God responding to His awesome deeds in and around our lives. God is personally involved in each of our lives. Remember, 40 times His name is there. God is, did I say, intensely personal with you? I did. I know I did. He is intensely personal. He's a game changer. He's a life transformer. He's a life changer. These are awesome deeds that He performs in our lives, as well as doing big things. 
And we worship God for answering our prayers because God cares. He loves us. He's involved. He even prays for us. He's dependable. He is trustworthy all the time and on time. Can I say one more thing here about this? God is worthy of praise and worship despite whether we have a mask on or not a mask. Whether we have a vaccine or not a vaccine. Or whether you're a Republican or whether you're a Democrat. God is so above all this stuff. We've got to keep our eye on the ball, so to speak. God is at the forefront of all that we should think about and do. All this other stuff we have to navigate, but it is not going to dominate our life. God must dominate the life of this church and any church. I really got excited about this psalm. And I've been thinking about this part in Revelations chapter 5. Ugh! I want this. So, the scene is in heaven. You really should, I'm just touching, it's like an iceberg and I'm at the 10%, the 90% is below. But worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, the seal judgments that are coming. He is worthy. He is valuable. Why? For you were slain. Slaughtered. He was slaughtered. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. I hope your pulse is a little faster because of this. This is us. He died for us. He's worthy of me loving him back. Let me pray. Lord, I pray uh, for each person here. I know there is a lot of things going on in each person's life. A lot of good stuff happening in our life, Lord, and we thank you for that. Lord, we know there's trials and tribulations going on in our world, Lord, and we can even thank you for that because these grow us up. And no trial, no difficulty comes to us but through the passing through God's hands. And so we thank you. You are worthy. We declare your worth to the nations, Lord. We declare your worth to Israel. We declare your worth even in our own personal life. So Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen.